10 is usually a milestone number. Double digits? Usually you mark the occasion with something special. So unlike the putting in this episode, we're aiming right for the cup on the 10th episode of the podcast. Putt putters, foreign broadcast TV show finders, holy moly alums, Australian slang experts. Some of those terms best describe us, your hosts of this program. You know me by now. I'm Tom and sometimes go by the name Mr. T. My wife and I are known as a couple of putts. We build, design, and play mini golf across the planet. Find our work and play over at acoupleofputts.com and on social media at coupleofputts. Now I'm Pat, and in mini golf circles, I'm known as the Putting Penguin. We're in the mini golf course review website and social media conglomerate, the Putting Penguin. I'm also a competitive mini golfer, having played in over 60 tournaments. This year, we took our talents to a podcast after spending 2020 live streaming We're Gonna Need a Bigger Windmill, our Facebook show that covered the U.S. Season 2 of Holy Moly, along with other mini golf topics. You can find that show in the archives of our respective websites. Through the wonders of technology, we started our run of this podcast recapping the Australian Holy Moly Season 1, as well as the entire realm of mini golf across the world. By this point, we've probably watched every episode of the three seasons of Holy Moly a combined five times, in addition to watching clips of our episode wins on repeat. We're fans of the show and had a blast playing PS Production. We're happy to come back and play again anytime you need us. It's the penultimate episode of the Australian season one. So if you don't know we're going to spoil stuff by now, what have you been listening to? (laughs) Also... If you want to see some visuals for the show after listening to this episode, come check us out at Podcast Mini on all the socials. You've made it this far, and we're glad to have you here. Thanks again to all the people who've shared tips with us on making your own podcast from the comforts of your home. Appreciation to Rob Frost for his efforts to clean up all the background noise in our collective home offices. If you need someone to compose a backing track, record an album, or edit your podcast, Hit Rob up. We'll be happy to share his contact information with you if you drop us a note in our social media. Before we jump on into Holy Moly, I wanted to share a little news of the world of mini golf. For me, the Greater Baltimore Mini Golf Tour, which is a regional tour in the Baltimore, Maryland area, it's been running for a few years now, recently announced their big tournament of the year. It's going to be the first Maryland State Mini Golf Championship, and it's going to be held on September 4th at the Island Green Family Fun Center. Here's hoping for a successful first year that puts them up for a long-term tournament. Right now, we're unsure if we're going to have any putting penguin representation there, but we'll see. It's right in the middle of a busy time of putty season, but it's possible one of our crew is going to get out there to challenge the course and the tour representatives. Yeah, we'll be curious to see if we can make it out for Minneapolis, but we've been loving following what the Greater Baltimore Mini Golf Tour has been doing. Late to the game, but I saw a fun course at the Reading Public Museum online earlier in the winter. It's actually an annual putting course and something to look out for next winter. But there's also a new Pennsylvania pop-up course coming this summer. The Pittsburgh Innovation District is offering free mini golf. The Oakland Open will be a free and public nine-hole pop-up miniature golf course. It's going to be located in the one-block section of Oakland Avenue that is closed to the traffic for the summer just south of Forbes Avenue. Love that more outdoor and pop-up mini golf courses are coming back this summer. Given mini golf is easy to do safe and distanced outdoors, we expect to see a lot more pop-up courses this summer, and we'll be sure to give you all of the heads up. And now on to Holy Moly. Some general notes on the Aussie version of the show before we dive into our recap. 
There's eight competitors who go head-to-head in a bracket one-hole tournament with each match held on a different hole. The distractor serves as a redemption hole, putting three players in total in the final. The winner takes home a gold putter, the green plaid jacket, and a chance at the super final for $100,000 Australian, which is about $75,000 US. Since you are listening, don't forget to subscribe and give us a hole-in-one rating. And with that, it's time to head to the holy moly scramble time and our recap of the matchups. I'm up first this week with our first hole, Polcano. This saw Daniel, a prawn farmer and ring card guy. You guessed it. He's wearing the type of outfit you'd expect up against Benjamin, who's a 46-year-old winery seller manager. He likes to dress to impress. He had a sharp cardigan on too. He did. I was digging it. (laughs) So Ben hits first and he goes way up the hill, ends up going in the rough section of the hole. I have to say, he almost manages to stick the pole, but can't quite get his hands on it. Daniel, who's left-handed, gets a wicked lucky bounce out of the rough and manages to land his ball in the pole position. He then goes on to take advantage of his pretty lanky and somewhat athletic build to be the first person to stick the pole the whole season. So, hey, why not save the best for almost last? With no penalty and the pole position putt, he has an easy path to the win and the second round. Easy PT. I think... We'll get to it later, but he definitely figured out how to get the speed right coming off of the zip line onto the pole. But we're on to slip and putt. We have Annabelle versus Marv Julius. Marv is a 39-year-old mogul who visualizes stuff. Sure. Seemed like a cool guy. Had lots of patterns on. Annabelle, on the other hand, is 33, has three kids, and is a flight attendant. And I think she was coached by somebody who was legendary in Australia and has been playing golf since he was about 12. Over on Slip and Putt, they both attempt to run up the lube slide, and it's the first time this season that we've seen somebody penalized for grabbing the side of Slip and Putt. Both, as we know, we're told as competitors that we could not grab the side of the mountain on Slip and Putt to help ourselves up. We had to go straight up and pull ourselves up. Marv got penalized. He ended up getting up second after they lowered the ropes. Marv hit a really rough first shot and got it stuck between the polar bear's legs, hit it down in two. Annabelle got it down on her first putt and is about two feet away. She taps it in and wins the round. On to the next hole. Hey, and I'm still up. And yet another hole that we'll be talking about later in design time with Mr. T, Dutch Courage, a hole that both Pat and I know quite well. On this hole, we have Aaron Hatton, who is a sports coach, versus Emma, who's a project accountant and has an office job. The thing that I found the most interesting and sent me down a rabbit hole is that in Aaron's intro, she talked about coaching netball. And I was like, netball, that must be like volleyball or something. And then I looked it up. It's like ultimate Frisbee meets basketball. You can find some videos online, but there's like a hoop. You can't dribble the ball. So it's like basketball without a backboard. It was super cool. And now I'm probably going to have to go like seek out some videos online to watch that. Unfortunately, uh, Aaron was probably a little bit better at netball than she was at mini golf. Despite saying that, Aaron gets the ball between both blades and over in the checkered area to hit towards the cup for her second putt. Unfortunately, she gets over there and she has two stroke penalties from getting hit by both windmills. Emma pulls it up short but ends up next to Aaron anyways, and so they're both about seven, eight feet out. So what you'll note is, is that as Emma gets hit by the first blade, no one on the entire 10 episodes, nine of which episodes they had Dutch Courage, 
nobody got past the first windmill. Fortunately for Emma, she did get past the second windmill blade, and that helped her out as when they got on the other side, Aaron pulls up really short on her putt. Emma just hooks it in on the side of the hole with like a funky stance, and Emma advance to the next round. Our last hole of the first round is putt the plank. Our last two competitors up to tee off are Dylan, who's a 36-year-old photographer and strangely yet another rapper on this show this season. Bad rapper. Three very, (laughs) very bad rappers. Yeah, none of them should put rapper in their uh, CV. Please don't. Uh, His one claim that he'll show off a little bit for the rest of the episode is loves doing the crab dance. Don't know if he's just a big fan of the folks on Deadliest Catch or some other strange Australian (laughs) thing, but he liked doing the crab dance. He was up against 31-year-old Mellow Mel, who seemed to be very easily distracted by her own words. Spoiler, she's not going to make it to distract her to see if that's actually the case. (laughs) Mel actually ended up winning the putt off, and Digger had a pretty good chip for her. It was about six feet off. He then goes to mess with Dylan a little bit. It was a little funny, and then... Absolutely line drives his chip, but somehow also doesn't have too bad a lie. Mel leaps off the plank, goes legs first into the shark, and Dylan, probably showing one of our best jumps of the season, unfortunately actually jumps over the shark. Tries to grab on, just can't do it. I will note, he at least had the right strategy where he was trying to do a running start. The amount of people that tried to broad jump onto the shark this season was just baffling to me. Like... It's not that short of a jump. Like people can't broad jump that far, but if you get a little bit of a momentum, (laughs) it can work in your favor. It looked really good until it wasn't. (laughs) Mel gets over, putting on the other side. She ends up shooting hers right past the cup. Dylan has a nice roll of his second putt over there, straight on in, ends up winning the hole, moving on to the second round. And we're on to Dragon's Breath, where we have Emma, our charming witch, who won on Dutch Courage. Against Daniel, who's kind of an obnoxious loudmouth with a wild outfit. Daniel gets it through the drawbridge on his first putt. And that ends up being very fortuitous because it takes Emma two putts just to get through. And then she has to take two putts on the other side. Leaves Daniel with about a six-foot putt that he pulls up way short and then taps in for three to win the hole. If you watch Dragon's Breath, they both get set on fire. In addition, there is a treasure chest that's been sitting there all season. Daniel takes advantage of it, takes out all the faux treasure, pours it all over himself, which the only benefit of that was you actually got to see a little bit more of the set. Daniel moves on to the final of this episode. Our second semifinal is hole number two. That pits Dylan, who was our putt the plank winner, versus Annabelle, who was our slip and putt winner, and also had the nickname putter with a pram. Some more Aussie slash English slang for you there and just sort of reminded me of the Camelot song from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So a nice little in-bit there. Probably the best thing about this hole because the putting was absolutely atrocious. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) Dylan gets up first and, you know, we may have to put an explicit warning on this, but had an absolutely shit putt directly into the water. I mean, that's fitting fitting for hole number two that he has a shit putt. That that is true. If you're going to have crappy putting, it might as well be on this hole. He tried to make up for it with a pretty fast run and just actually got clipped by the last dunny door. Sitting here watching this, 
I just kept thinking, well, Annabelle, you just got to hit it down and not like hit it into the water. And she managed to somehow mess up even worse, slap shotting the ball off of the porta potty and into the water. I mean, it was legit so bad that I broke out laughing and it has to have been the worst putt I have seen the entire season. Except. Well, well, and then it just, as my notes will later go, she's just a hot mess. (laughs) They're both putting it. Well, and then before they get to the second putt, she just gets hammered in anyways by the second dunny. So they're equally in a terrible position, hitting out of the drop zone, both soaking wet. Dylan actually does halfway decent out of the, the drop zone, kind of banks it off the little board that's there, ends up with a decent lie. Annabelle goes directly back into the water and then on her third putt manages to then hit Dylan's ball. And so as this is just spiraling out of control, thankfully Dylan just ends it knocking his in, giving us an encore of the crap dance. Although I think this is telling as I look at my notes, I actually wrote an encore of the crap dance. (laughs) (laughs) Hole number two. (laughs) Hole number two, putting, whatever. (laughs) Two of our three finalists are in. Which then brings us to one of our recurring themes of the episodes, dissecting the distractor. So with the exception of our two special episodes, the Brains versus Braun and the Romance episode that were set up to have only two people in the final, we've seen the distractor. Every episode is our redemption hole. And that brings us to this week's family-friendly distraction, stripping firefighters. We'll do get to more on that in a minute, but let's just say the two ladies that were in this particular putoff, Annabelle and Emma... They might have been thrown a bit off their game. Either that or they might have also been sangbanging it for more time. Annabelle's up first. She pushes her putt just a little bit left under one of the guys who's doing his best to be a coffee table. Meanwhile, Emma has one of the funnier putts, I think, of the season as well, because she sails hers past the hole and smack dab into the butt cheeks of one of the guys who is doing a split behind it. As you can imagine, some good wriggle commentary came out of that. Annabelle's second shot just curls, stops Oh, so tantalizingly close on the edge of the cup. And Emma might have cast herself a spell because she got hers to drop and she was our redemption finalist. So now to break down the distraction. It's actually extremely similar and a little bit ironic to season two of the U.S. who actually used the thunder from down under guys from their Las Vegas show. It'd be interesting to see if the COVID restrictions were in place, if we would have then seen thunder from down under actually on the Australia show. Either way, it was attractive guys. They could be distracting. The ladies seem to enjoy it. Comes with it with maybe a little bit of embarrassment factor creeping in if you're, you know, trying not necessarily to watch them and that gets into your head. Overall, it's kind of similar to some of the other ones we had earlier, like the Carnival one. So I give it three out of five fish for this episode. I think that's fair. It was funny to think of like the Thunder Down Under were not used on the episode Down Under, but alas... We're off to the final of the final competitive episode to set the finale. That seemed a little convoluted. But anyways, it's our 10th episode. And we have Daniel, Dylan, and Emma. And something I noticed when they were walking up is the first time I noticed that there were picnic tables that they were walking up by. So that was kind of a nice little set piece that I hadn't noticed up to this point that was around foul play. Oh yeah, they're playing foul play. But I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. For all of the 10 competitive episodes, most of them were either putter ducky or foul play. We start with Daniel, who ends up putting his 
ball into the left-hand side in the sand trap. It might have been one of the hardest putts to date on this hole. He really just whacked it. Dylan hits it down the middle channel and ends up somehow hitting it faster and harder than Daniel. The ball goes soaring out through the middle channel, off the rails, and into the sand trap. He didn't actually get much of an advantage going down the middle. And funny enough, Emma does the same thing. Hits the ball too fast, flies off the track, and doesn't get a great line for their second putt. Daniel, in addition to landing Paul Kano, is one of the few people that made it across the log on foul play, saving himself a stroke, which was super important to this hole. One thing that I noticed early in the episode, and he was continuing to do, Daniel's kind of taunting and talking to people while they're putting, and he gets his first putt out of the hazard and is way short. They cut to his next shot, and it rolls into the cup, and he's in in three. For the next two, we have Dylan, who puts the ball way to the right of the cup, and Emma, who also hits it well past the cup, ends up being our worst putting final of the season, and Daniel ends up winning this hole as the sun's coming up, which is a really interesting thing that we have yet to see as being on set and knowing that that's kind of the cutoff time. If you want to make a show where everything's at night and lit well, you got to record it in the dark. And so this hole went late enough that they ended up seeing the sunlight and Daniel finished it off right as the sun was rising. And he's our final winner of the season. And so this sets up our big finale. So in addition to Daniel, we have Montana, Mark, Michelle, Amy, Jaden, Jesse, Tom, Nick, and Teresa, all heading to the finale, which we will be recapping very soon. All right, Tom. So we're at the top, at the part of our show of asking, what did I miss on this episode? Well, I mentioned that we're going to be back for the finale, and we should have mentioned that, and that there's also a junior and celebrity episode that we'll hopefully talk about a little bit, but so far right now, we haven't been able to find it online. So other than that, I don't think there's much we missed other than, as I said a little bit earlier and kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show, it was some pretty bad putting this episode. So Pat, what did I miss? Well, your mention of the picnic tables on foul play made me think of something which I don't think we've actually touched on. And I don't remember you talking about it when you did your Dragon's Breath design time. And if I did, feel free to edit this out and just say you didn't miss anything, Tom. But did you notice that in the Australian season, when the competitors came up for Dragon's Breath, as opposed to the U.S. season where they were riding horses in, that they were doing Monty Python-esque coconuts? I totally missed that. Now I got to actually go back and watch. I don't think it's this episode, although they do see him walking up. I think it was one of the earlier episodes, the the... I don't know what you would call them. The people escorting them up that was in sort of the Mm -hmm, night mm -hmm. garb had coconuts. And I'll have to go through my notes and and figure out which episode that was. But it made me laugh so hard because it it like should have been played up more. Mm -hmm. And I think for us who saw them actually ride in on horses, which was one of the reasons I would have loved to play Dragon's Breath in the U.S. season. Mm -hmm. Because I think that just would have looked cool on TV. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Go back and figure that out. Our listeners just go, you know, fast forward and try to find it and have another little Monty Python. I didn't plan to make two Monty Python references this episode yet. Here we are. Yeah. And I guess if for some reason you've been listening to all these episodes and you haven't watched any of the show, just go on YouTube and search Holy Moly Australia. There's a handful of episodes that are up there. But I think that right now 
brings us to Design Time with Mr. T, one of my favorite holes of all time, Dutch Courage. So if Jerry West is the logo for the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the Dutch Courage windmills, or maybe Rob Riggle, but I'd say Dutch Courage, are the defining image of holy moly for all of the seasons. Dutch Courage is the first hole I saw on set when I arrived, and finding out that this would be the first hole I'd play of the night confirmed that this was going to be an incredible experience. On the California set, the lights placed in the blades of the windmills reflected off the canyon mountains to create an additionally beautiful and magical sight that makes me smile anytime I think about it. So yeah, I'm pretty fond of this hole. The classic windmill is the iconic and most recognizable obstacle that has made it through the many eras of mini golf in the 100 plus year history of the game. Heck, our previous other show was called We're Gonna Need a Bigger Windmill. These spinning obstacles can throw the ball off track if you don't get the timing right. And it seems fitting that in Holy Moly Universe, where the competitors follow the path of the ball towards the cup, that those windmills can end up costing you several strokes in addition to a few bruises. The two 20 foot plus tall windmills with spinning blades are on all three seasons. Season one in the US and Australian season set the massive structures above cute tulips, another set piece that connects to the Dutch part of the hole. Season two in the US was set over water and there's a drawbridge that competitors had to time a jump over on the second windmill to not fall in and miss the blades. That hole was called Double Dutch Courage, maybe for the extra leap, creating extra difficulty, but ostensibly it's the same hole, two large windmills. As both Pat and I know, the putting on season one was especially challenging because in addition to the massive windmills, there was a middle windmill that you might see on a normal mini golf course that can actually stop the progress of the ball towards the cup. The design of these windmill structures has changed subtly over the years. You can see in season one that the siding of the windmills would just pop off when people would run into them at full speed. The last two seasons, they have better and more sturdy padding that was added. The biggest thing that has changed is the speed of the blades. As we mentioned a few times on our previous version of this talk show, a number of the holes in the first round that counted towards the competition in season one weren't actually aired. Myself, Pat, my wife, and numerous people played Dutch Courage and were left fully unscathed. Almost everybody who got hit in their matches in season one were shown on the air, but they were in the distinct minority of the competitors. This is a stark contrast to the Australian season of the show which I mentioned earlier that of all 18 competitors that went up against Dutch Courage, zero made it through the first blade. Only seven made it through the second blade. So it's a distinct minority of people that made it through either of the blades on this season. And season two of the US, the majority of people got whacked in by that first blade. The second blade, I think they had to slow it down because that fall was pretty brutal. brutal. The best piece of advice I can offer for playing Dutch Courage is to consider standing sideways on that narrow path leading up to the blades and just sort of sashay quickly through the blades without running at high speed. But the reality is, with those blades running at high speed these days, it's mostly luck more than it is timing. Again, I love this hole and love seeing the little flourishes they add to each season. Fingers crossed, we get to talk about it again this summer when we recap the US season three of Holy Moly. And I guess we're on to. Wriggle Roasts and Best Bits. All right. I think I have a sneaking suspicion. We're probably going to have the same one here, but there was a fun fact this episode that 99% of Pompeii victims were playing mini golf when they unfortunately perished because of a giant volcano. And I like how Wriggle said, well, no, this is the fun part. 
they were playing mini golf because he was trying to tell a story about Pompeii. It's like, it's still not fun. People died. <laughs> but I think that it, there was like a delivery and everything else that just worked. I had the same thing. It was beautiful. And now we're on to Would You Rather? In this episode, it's my turn to ask Tom a question. So a little bit of setup here. We're going to talk about, let's say you're playing a lifetime on your favorite course or your most local course, and you had one of these two options. Would you rather ace and have it be on camera so there is evidence of you doing this, the most impossible hole on that course, one time, or guaranteed ace on the easiest hole on the course every single time you played? I feel like that one seems easy. Last summer, Robin and I set up our first tournament at a course that I grew up playing called Lily Putt. And there is distinctly multiple holes that getting a hole in one is really hard. A couple of them are par fives. They have weird dog legs and like roundabouts that honestly a hole in one on a couple of the holes would be one in like a thousand putts. So I 100% I'm going to say that I'm going to take the hole in one one time on either, what would it be? Hole number three, I think hole number seven. 15 would be pretty wild. I got to know that course pretty well practicing for the tournament. And yeah, there are just a few long and winding holes that you would have to hit the ball super wildly to legally get a hole in one without like a weird jump of a wall. So that's an easy one for me. What about you? I added in the on camera thing because I think that makes it a little bit easier because you'd have the like evidence of it. Yes. Um, But I guess... It would depend a little bit on if it was a course I played a tournament on. Cause I mean, to be honest, mm. I would take a nice, like, guaranteed ace every time I went through yeah. on a particular uh, course. But yeah, I mean, I think just the satisfaction of hitting it. Like, I remember the first time I got the Bob and Bowie's hole up at Dolphin Mini Golf, where the main state open is held. And that's hole 15. It's the hardest hole to ace on the course um, of a course that has a lot of ace opportunities. And like the first time I shot my, I tried to shoot an 18 hole in one video. I just couldn't ace 15. I probably took a hundred shots on it. And then I (laughs) finally made it actually in the tournament. Um, one year. So I like the joy of hitting that absolutely is worth having. And it's funny, the next course that came to mind to me was one that is having like a big special celebration this weekend, Dreamland down in Dripping Springs, Texas. The first hole is like a double dog leg. Probably the cup is 20 feet above where you tee off and it's about 200 feet long. I would love to get a hole in one on (laughs) video of that. We, we shot some hole-in-one videos, and surprise, surprise, most of those weren't on the first attempt, and I couldn't imagine how long it would take to film a hole-in-one on that hole. So, yeah, there's some of those holes that, that wacky hole-in-one, because here's the thing, you might get a, like, get a good score in a tournament, but you're totally going to get some wild like viral video if you make a hole-in-one on something that wacky. And once again, we're here to share some closing thoughts to wrap up our episode in... Big thoughts, mini golf. Everyone is trying to have fun on the mini golf course. Some people's fun is based on achievement, focus, and consistency, and other people's enjoyment comes from celebrating wildly. There's room for both on the course. Be mindful that these shared spaces contain multitudes, and that is what ultimately makes them special. 
just be kind to each other and be mindful of each other on the course. And we can all have a lot of fun. And speaking of celebrations, one of the nice things about the actual international tournaments is that positive outbursts and cheering are often encouraged, but negative ones can earn you a penalty. So it's great to see such positive positions encouraged by the sport internationally. So go ahead, cheer those aces, keep those obscenities to yourself when you screw up a hole. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt one ready. Well, shit.